Welcome everybody back to the Clear Out Podcast with your host, Matt Brooks. We are brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. And today I am previewing the upcoming Celtics Nets first round series, highly anticipated, um, I think by pretty much everybody. I've seen it as most people's, maybe not most, but many people's most anticipated matchup in the first round. Joined by Lucas Kaplan, the one and only. Lucas, how you doing? Pretty good. Playoff basketball's here. Can't complain. Weather's getting warmer. It's that time of the year. Yeah, uh, good good little stretch of games. We're recording on Saturday. Uh, Timberwolves, Grizzlies was excellent. Uh, Raptors, Sixers was not. <laughs> I mean, it was a good game in terms of like, you know, it was fun to watch Maxi go off. But, uh, you know, it's just exciting. This is such a fun part of the year. And it kind of makes the whole 82-game slog worth it. And I think it's really nice, like, you know, as, as two people that have, like, watched this Nets team that's been – really, really dominant for at least one of the two seasons they've had their guys on the floor. Um, it's kind of nice to have like a first round matchup. That's really interesting versus last year when they faced off against the Celtics, it was kind of like, all right, see how they look. And, uh, and we'll kind of get through the next round, um, which ultimately it's actually looking back at those games. It's, I think you and I can talk for days about how fun those games were with, with the big three. That's kind of the last remnants of everything. Yeah, I still watched the game four highlights in Boston when they had when they put up like 130 something points. And hey, even then, that's the last, maybe only great Joe Harris playoff game came in that series. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, there's yeah. Two that is the defining series of the James Harden Brooklyn Arrow, which is a uh, quite the sentence. Yeah. Uh yeah, definitely. And both teams are in very different places now. That you know, we'll I guess we'll we'll start um you know, this first off, I mean, the Celtics are fully healthy They're They have an identity this year uh, in a way that they just didn't, you know, that you talk about that game four, like they were just leaving Joe Harris open in transition. Like it was like, I remember that being a really, really poor defensive game for Boston uh, this year. They're very well oiled machine in terms of what uh, Udoka's done for them. Uh, and the Nets, meanwhile, have just had, you know, we've, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, quite the interesting year. Um, I actually, when I look at this matchup, it's it is such a pick 'em series. You know, you see people picking Nets in six. You have Celtics in six. It's mostly six or seven games that you're seeing, like from like analysts and stuff like that. And I think that's pretty uh pretty pretty on point. Um, and I think a big part of it is a we don't really know what the Nets are. You know, even at this point at this juncture, b the Celtics are going through their own stuff. You know, just you know going through the last seven or so games since they lost Robert Williams, they didn't really play any top-notch teams in a way they're only two big games and I don't even know if you want to call the game against the Bulls a big one because the Bulls have been um not great I think it's probably the best way to put it for the latter part of the season uh the only big game that they really played in was against Miami and I think they lost by like eight points so kind of weird this is a weird series for me it's it's hard to get a grip on which way it's gonna go yeah they uh they played they w- they did also play the Bucks in a game that Nets fans had a lot of um, stake in, but but they sat they were, guys, right? Yeah, they were missing um, Tatum and Horford. Yeah, they started Grant Williams, Tice, Smart, Derek White, Brown. So, you know, that's five rotation guys. Um, but Grant Williams will not be playing thirty-seven minutes a game in this series. Is one of my colder predictions. Okay. <laughs> um. We have a bunch of things we're probably going to hit on tactic wise. I want to do matchups first, since I think that's like pretty important. Um, you know, I, I did a big cal- uh, column with Alec this, this week, kind of talking about this series. And one of my big points was like how important matchups are, but moreover, like how important it is for the Nets to force the Celtics into giving the Nets matchups that make more sense. Cause right now they're playing this double big lineup and it mm-hmm. forces the Nets into really awkward alignment so you have like the last time these two teams played on march 6 i think it was um you had Kyrie on marcus smart um seth curry on jalen brown which i'm like "Mm, i don't know how i feel about that uh i think they had uh, bruce on jason tatum not a great matchup for bruce i'll be honest like 
He's just a little too big and a little too strong. And then that and the reason they did all this is you'd want KD on Tatum normally, but you needed KD on Horford for rebounding purposes. Um, and then, of course, like, uh, I guess, Drummond on uh, Robert Williams, or, or I guess it would be Tice now. So, um, yeah, I think that'll be a big thing for the Nets is like trying to give themselves better matchups. Cause I just, I don't know. I feel like it doesn't give the Nets the perfect alignment for the defenders they'd want on uh, Boston's best players. I agree. I think the question of who Kevin Durant guards is like, you know, when the ball gets tipped, I think the first thing to look for in game one, we saw it in the play in when Katie's on defensively. And I do think it is a question of him being on or off. He's so good at recovering in space, kind of off the ball to help at the rim. I had a long thread about that game, and I think the most positive sign was that, you know, something I've been talking about leading in the playoffs is the Nets don't really have traditional rim protection, but they can throw out lineups where guys are just super long and active, and how much rim protection you can get out of lineups like that is really important. Um, and Kevin Durant was great at it. He was all he's a factor around the rim, hitting drivers, all that stuff. But if you have him on Tatum, which you would think makes the most sense, just thinking about one-on-one matchups, you're taking that away. And the sort of shape, the geometry of your defense looks a lot different. But if you don't have KD on Tatum, if you have him on Tice, I guess, or, or maybe Horford and, and Drummond on Tice, whatever the case may be, you are now putting Bruce and or Seth in much more difficult positions. So it'll really be a question of what do the Nets value more? What does... Nash and Vanterpool, what are they focused on? Are they focused on trying to limit, you know, how comfortable Brown and Tatum are one-on-one or do they care more about, I guess, like the holistic integrity of their paint defense? That'll be, that's like the first question I think they have to answer if we're talking about matchups. Yeah. Cause they could get really crazy. And like, like Brown is the guy where I'm like, I, I like try to toy around with this. Like, is there a way to put like Brown on, you can't really put him on Tice. That just seems like a, a matchup in hell. You can't put him on Horford. Like it is a weird, it's a weird thing for the Nets to face in a way. Like they do when Katie's out there, they have two seven footers in theory, so they can match them. It's just more of a question of like, how are you allocating things? And then on the flip side, like I think Boston's pretty well set up. I thought, you know, in that most recent game, K, uh, Tatum had some pretty good defensive sequences against KD. Um, you know, like again, it's KD, so you can only do what you can only do, but I thought he had some pretty good defensive sequences. There was like a step back three that he stayed pretty much pace for pace with. Um, I think that was like third quarter or something like that. And then smart on Kyrie. I mean, I don't love that matchup, honestly, for, for smart. I, I just think Kyrie is a little, little quick, I think in a way, and a little, little zippy for him, but that's in theory, that's a good matchup. And I, otherwise I think things align pretty well for them. Um, but I, yeah, I think the matchups are interesting here. Like it just in terms of like, you know, well, uh, this is probably my first point I want to touch on. Like you have these two bigs for Brooklyn and Drummond and Claxton. And I think there's an argument that can be made for playing Claxton and, and sitting with him more. That said, I don't feel terrible about Drummond in this series for whatever reason. No, you're going to have to play Drummond like maybe not big minutes, but real significant minutes. And, you know, they've shown that they like to start with that look, especially. And if things are going a certain way, close with Claxton. And I don't expect that to change. Um, You know, Brown and Tatum are pull-up shooters. You feel a little bit more comfortable with Brown if you can force him into shots versus getting all the way to the rim. Tatum, whenever he has the ball towards the basket, it's like a 9-1-1 situation. Um, The argument for Brown on Tatum, I think, is that it's like if you have Drummond and Drop, and they're going to be setting high ball screens for Tatum. Brown is your best screen navigator. And while he might not be able to bother Tatum, like purely facing up with length, maybe Tatum can shoot over him. He's going to make Tatum's life difficult getting to his spots around screens. And then hopefully you have Drummond doing his best job waiting in the paint um, for Tatum. But you don't feel terrible about Drummond and drop just because you have another guy to help off of a little bit. Let's say Tice is the main screen setter. You can help off of Horford pretty liberally. I mean, you know, Horford can shoot threes. So can Tice, but like 
if you're forcing Boston into those two guys taking threes, you're very okay with that if that's how the possession ends. Um, and Brooklyn, therefore, has that. You know, it's not high ball screen and then three deadly shooters. It's really not even two deadly shooters based on how you feel about Marcus Smart taking threes. Yeah. Although he's like the Jay Crowder if he's in a rhythm the whole time. Oh, I'm expecting a game. I'm expecting a game where he has like seven threes. They might not even be go, game he, one. He's not going to go two for six. He's either going to go five for six or 0 for eight. Yeah. So you will see. But that's why you feel good about Drummond and Drop. The rest of the guys can be in the passing lanes, digging in the paint more than maybe they could against other teams like like the Sixers even. Yeah. Um, well, and the other thing is like, I think you can play Drummond a little bit higher up because you don't have to worry about, like they got a ton of action out of just having Robert Williams roll and and they just like, it opened up floaters for Smart. It opened up lobs for Williams. They just don't have that like dynamic vertical threat now where it's like, now you're kind of like a pick and pop offense. Um, a lot of your screening action for Boston is going to be mostly, especially with tight screening. It's mostly going to be looking to generate looks for the ball handler because he's really not like a a dynamic guy that's going to, you know, he'll make, he'll finish. And really he'll, the biggest thing he'll do is like screen and then set one of those um, what's called uh, the Gortat screens, like right near the rim. So he's, he's more of like i I'm going to set you up guy versus like Horford has a little bit of equity in terms of like you, if, you know, if you don't get anything creation wise from the ball handler um, he can at least like, uh, I guess, pick and pop, but um I think that helps the Nets a lot. And I think you can be a little more liberal with how you use Drummond. I, I'm not I'm not like a huge fan of, you know, having him switch. I don't think that's the matchup you want. I think, you know, if the Nets would like hedge a little more, they never really hedge with their bigs. But like if you showed like a really just even play them like a little bit closer to the level versus like in a deep, deep drop, I think that's a, a way to like, you know, ease, ease things into there. And you're somewhat taking away uh Tatum and Brown's pull-up game yeah I think that's a I really am happy you brought that up about Rob Williams that's a good point a lot of Boston missing him we talk about how much that impacts the defensive end and it certainly does but the fact that he you don't have that vertical threat which has just killed the Nets in the past um you know Rob Williams is one of those athletes where you're like oh he's seven feet tall but like nah he's like six eight six nine getting to the top of the square on lobs exploding and now that his absence allows Drummond to play up closer to the level when you have these really dynamic pull-up shooters that aren't quite as dynamic getting to the rim with Tatum and Brown, who I think both of those guys, more so Tatum, like the first crack of space are looking to rise up and shoot. Yep. Being able to play Drummond there is very helpful for the Nets. I wish we would have seen more trapping in the regular season from Brooklyn. I wish that's something that they prepare themselves a little bit more to do just because I could really see that um, holding value in this series. Tyson and Horford are both Horford, especially really nice decision makers out of the short role. But at the same time, I don't know how great Boston's secondary guards and wings are at like capitalizing on advantages. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't I don't really know if that's something Brooklyn's comfortable with. If if Tatum gets hot or if Brown starts like four for five, if they're comfortable trapping with Drummond at the level, who has great hands. Great um, hands. I his positioning sometimes really bothers me. Yeah. Like I he like that that would be like if I'm if Drummond's in there, you're playing him higher. I'm just rescreening over and over with Tice because I just I know like yeah, when Drummond's leaning one way, I just I don't know. That's a minor thing, but I always get like a little queasy with his positioning even in drop like sometimes I'm just like I don't feel like you're positioned correctly for this right one of those one of those rescreens Drummond will be late to to flip his side you know what I mean yeah I think that's what you're getting at and that is all the space that they need there was one play in the Cleveland um uh, play-in that I clipped where I think whoever Drummond was guarding rescreened for Garland um Mm -hmm. they flipped the screen and Drummond just had like a lapse where it took him a second to shift over. And yeah. by the time he was ready to contest Garland, he was still moving horizontally and Garland had already taken off. And mm. it was too late. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we kind of know what Drummond is at this point. Like there's, and then there's the exploit of offensive rebounding too. Like, you know, and, and and they didn't the, the Nets weren't like a team that won the I think they actually lost on the season in terms of offensive rebound and they had a couple more rebounds in the game 
on March 6th, which is like basically my only reference point for this game uh, yeah. or this series. I mean, um, but I, I think that's another exploit. Obviously, if you're a switching defense and you're able to pull bigs, you know, if you're, if, if you're uh, an offense going up against a switching defense and you're able to pull the opponent's bigs away from the basket, especially if it's one big, um, the obvious counter is, hey, we're going to go crash the glass really hard. So I think that's more equity for and more value in, in Drummond is if, you know, the Celtics switch, he has a smaller player on him. Uh, you know, let's say it's, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know what it would be. It would be, let's say it's like Marcus Smart. Like, go yeah. ahead and crash the glass. Doesn't matter if Kyrie or KD makes the shot. We just want you in there and like cleaning this up. So I think that's another possible, a big reason to actually leave him out there is that you can create a lot of extra points that way. Yep. And we saw it a little bit with Cleveland where they didn't want um, Mobley on Drummond. They wanted him to roam more and whatever, or whatever, why ever that was marketing ended up one-on-one versus Drummond on a few possessions and just could not contain him on the glass. There were like two fouls and a couple offensive boards. Um, and it's going to be a problem, you know, Drummond is one of the few offensive rebounders in the league still where you are truly worried as a coach, like, can the guy we're guarding him with one-on-one keep him off the glass? You know, his offensive rebounding is a little bit less emphasized these days. There aren't a ton of individuals that command that sort of sway, but Drummond, if nothing else, certainly does. Yeah. Um, Talking about other, the other big uh, that the Nets have in this series, I think the obvious value for Claxton is, a, it just is like, I thought he was really dialed in defensively against Cleveland, like just really, really good. Um, you know, making those those help rotations and uh, finishing with big blocks. It was just, it was different. I mean, I think you pointed out at the very beginning of this, it was different to see that type of rim protection for the Nets from him and KD. Uh, and I think the obvious value is if the Nets are switching on their end, that's a really nice guy to throw at Jalen Brown, to throw at Jason Tatum. Are, are you concerned about anything with him in this series? I think it's interesting that Claxton's value or not value, but the eye popping plays that he makes on defense have sort of evolved from, wow, look at like what a switch switcher Mm -hmm. this guy is versus now it's like, look at him rotating over, tracking the ball, going straight up. Like he's a problem when he's rotating over at the rim for guys to finish over. And when you pull him away from the basket, you obviously decrease that value, but then, who's your best rebounder down there? Is it KD against a big, you know, is it KD and Brown and Kyrie and Seth aren't really going to give you much. And it's just those two versus maybe two bigs and Marcus smart, who's going to get down and dirty in there and maybe Brown or Tatum, you know, whichever one of those guys Claxton isn't switched on. So you worry about the rebounding there. Um, But then you also, I guess, just worry about how Claxton holds up repeatedly guarding Tatum and Brown. And I think, you know, you're not, that's a good matchup for them. You know, you feel comfortable with Claxton there, but um, they'll certainly, you know, it's just a big test. There's no other really way to say it. I'm not worried about one specific thing, but they're, they're going to hunt that matchup. Claxton's going to have a lot of possessions where he's guarding the two of them. And it's, you know, this is the big leagues. This is like his yeah. first real big playoff test. We've seen a lot of regular season improvement, but, this is really make it or break it for him. You know, the amount of money he commands this off season will be, I think, largely tied to how he performs in this series. And I don't think that's lost on anybody, but this series is just huge for him in that regard. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, you kind of saw it last year, like last year was a pretty big, you know, stage for him where it was like, Oh, it was kind of the opposite against Boston. It was like, I don't know how ready this guy is. Gotta yeah. say, like it, it, it just kind of stuck out. So, yeah, it'll be be big. I think, you know, likely they'll kind of approach Claxton the way they did last year, where it was like, hey, we want to see you make plays out of the short roll, and we're gonna trap, but we're gonna make you beat us that way. We want to see if you can make that, you know, turning over your what is that? His right shoulder, left shoulder, right yeah. shoulder, right shoulder. Uh, right shoulder hook. Um, we want to see if you can hit that consistently. And I like actually in this, this game that I keep referencing, like he was, I, I don't think he had a great game. I, I know he had like, I, I think he, he finished like 50% from the field, but he, he missed a couple of those like hooks that you, you that's, those are the, those are the shots. Like when he's making those, it's like, Oh, it's a really good Claxton game. You know, yeah. when those start going in, you're like, wow, he's feeling it tonight. Um, 
but in that game, like he wasn't really making those. A big part of it was just that the Celtics are so big. Um, you know, they were able to like push him into uncomfortable spots. So that's probably my concern is more of an offensive thing. Um, you know, can you, can you get enough from him in a way where it makes the defense work? Definitely. And, and with Boston, it's like, if Derek white is the guy that's sliding over and bodying him. And if Marcus smart is the guy that's sliding over and bodying him, those are big guards that, you know, historically Claxton has had a tough time imposing his will on just because those guys get so low to the ground and are so strong, especially Marcus smart that it's like, yeah, Claxton may have five, six inches on them, but it is not like an advantage in any other, any other respect. They're pushing him off of his base. You know, Marcus smart can get Claxton off balance. Then all of a sudden those hook shots look kind of ugly. Um, I'm sure every Nets fan can like imagine the ugly Claxton hook shot versus, versus the more traditional pretty one that goes in the thing I'm more worried about even more than the hook shots but to your point is just that short roll game in general I feel like when I watch Claxton on the short roll if he doesn't see the pass immediately he's not making it like all of these reads that you know I've clipped and and you've clipped and Alec has have clipped and other guys on Nets Twitter they're nice reads and they're nice to see but I feel like the thing they all have in common is Claxton catches it and it's in his line of sight immediately yeah I still haven't really seen him like go through his reads go through his progression like I don't think he floor maps before he even like catches at all like you look at like sorry to cut you off but like you look at like like it's really good way to do it is like watch Drummond in his minutes and then watch Claxton because Drummond makes these reads I'm not like, he's not like, oh, he's a good short roll passer. I'm not saying he's like incredible, but like he makes no, but, good reads. So I think that's a really good way to go about it. Yeah. He knows where the guys are on the floor where Claxton. It feels like he's not, he doesn't know. He hasn't predetermined that Seth is the guy in the short, in the, in the weak corner. Yep. And that if he sees Drummond, like if he sees Seth's man in his line of sight, he knows like this ball has to go to Seth. Yeah. Claxton has to see it in front of him. And if he doesn't in the first, you know, 0.5 seconds, it's like automatic that he's getting into his one dribble turnover the right shoulder, you know? Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's going to be the obvious um, thing that the, well, it actually is a larger question. Like what, what exploits do you see for the Celtics? Like when they're attacking the nets, it can be on either side of the ball. I just worry about, there's one thing Boston can exploit. It's the nets late game offense. I guess you could just say offense in general. I just, see that scenario that happened over and over against the Cavs in the fourth quarter repeating itself where Bruce or Claxton set the high ball screen to go to Kyrie or Katie or whoever it is. And the floor just shrinks and it's Bruce navigating a four on three, um, which is fine. Sometimes throughout the game, Bruce is certainly, I think improved and is just much more consistent in his reads. But again, the Celtics have these long rangy defenders that can shrink the floor and Bruce is not the best lob thrower. He's not like manipulating the defense with his eyes. He's not creating open reads. You know, he's just sort of making them if they're there. And I just worry about the Nets not being able to get past that. You know, if they're setting the high ball screen and to go to the ball and it's Claxton or Bruce in the short roll, I just don't know if that's going to produce enough offense consistently, you know, to the level that they need it to because they can help off of Claxton. You know, if Curry's in the game and his ankle's not right, you know, you worry about him being like, like relying on him for tough shot making. If Kessler Edwards is in the game, you know that he's not doing anything off the dribble, um, so on and so forth. So I just worry about Bruce and Claxton. If they're on the floor together. That's two guys that the Celtics feel comfortable taking attention away from to go really hound um, Kyrie and KD and even in ISO situations, you know, overloading the floor on defense and yeah, Claxton's going to be in the dunker spot and Bruce is going to cut and they've both kind of gotten better at knowing where they're supposed to be. But at the end of the day, in a close playoff game with five yeah. minutes left, I just don't think the Nets are winning playoff series um, in that with that sort of alignment. Yeah. I have that in my notes, like how much, like just Bruce Brown floaters. Like, is that, is that yeah. the end all be all for the Nets this year? Which like, sometimes I wish, like I, I get it. I, and I, but I think the Nets can sometimes like trap themselves into being like, Oh great. We have a four on three. Let's just, let's just attack and push forward. Sometimes I wish like Bruce would catch and then turn and then just pass back to KD and see if the double team will like dissipate from there. 
um, because they, they've done that in the past. I think they did that. I don't remember what game it was, but they they kind of reset that way. And it was like a, a smart. I just wish they do stuff like that more um, and, and just like not always feel like, hey, we have to be in attack. Because I think there is a way like even though you're playing four on three, there is a way to feel like you kind of have an advantage. Um, and, right. and Boston is like, man, you watch just like them play this year. They're so good of, at rotating Mm-hmm. out of trapping and stuff like that. I mean, a big part of it is like Marcus Smart's a madman. Like he's just insane. There was a sequence he had uh, in the fourth quarter of the March 6th game that the Celtics trapped. And then he, I think he was one of the guys trapping and he like leaves, exits the trap and like just flies across the court because the ball swings to Kyrie in the corner. He like stops on a dime bodies up Kyrie when Kyrie tries to like, you know, catch and go. And it was just like, dude, this team is like, so it's just like the execution is there. Like they're just, I mean, they're the number one defense for a reason. Like they, and I think actually like Nets fans in general, like I get it. Like you look at your team and you're like, and by the way, like I'm, I'm a Nets optimist in this series. I'll, I'll say that much right now, but you look at the Nets and you're like, well, we have Kyrie and KD, but it's like, yeah, but like you don't realize, like I don't think people realize how good this Celtics team is, especially defensively. Like I just, they're really good, man. Like they just, they rotate like hell, and they're they're they they're very well, you know, uh, tracked in terms of like how much, how good they are as a switching defense, and how many different things they can throw at you. So um, that'll be really important. I think they're okay with being in those uncomfortable situations where they're in a four on three with Bruce Brown or Nick Claxton rolling. And Rob will being out is obviously, I don't know if I'll say devastating, but pretty brutal for the Celtics, but Al Horford as the backbone of your defense. So, so good. I mean, because those four on three situations when, you know, let's say Al is guarding Claxton and he's the guy that's like, you know, stepping up to prevent the Bruce Brown floater, but also be cognizant of like the lob behind to Claxton it's really a mind game. You know, it's really a chess match between Bruce and Horford. And this is no disrespect to Bruce or anybody, but how many guys would you rather have navigating that situation, yelling out, you know, to the guy that doubled KD where to run to than Horford? I mean, as a quarterback of the defense, 35, 36, whatever, you know, his mind is as sharp as ever. And you just feel really confident if you're a Celtics fan with Horford back there. And then, as you said, the rotations are just so on point. And not only do you have guys rotating so quickly and smartly, but you have such physical guys doing that. Yeah. You just pointed out, you know, that sequence ended with Marcus Smart bodying up Kyrie. These guys aren't just like flying by on their closeouts. You know, they're really disciplined once they get there as well. So those four on three situations, I just hope the Nets don't fall into that trap and go, oh, four on three, we we won. We've created the advantage because Bruce Claxton, Kyrie, Seth, whatever it is, those are the four. And if the three for the Celtics is, you know, Tatum, Horford, Tice, or, or White, or, you know, Smart, whatever, I don't really know if the Celtics feel disadvantaged there. And they certainly don't because the ball is out of Kevin Durant's hands. So that that's my main thing that I think Boston will be able to exploit. How do you feel about the Nets in general in terms of, like, their ability to beat double teams in traps? <laughs> Not – super confident this is gonna I guess touch on another thing I've been thinking about but Kyrie's passing I feel like in this series is really going to be pushed to the limit there was one play in that Cleveland series that I again clipped where he comes off a double stagger he gets downhill and the two guys that set the stagger were Seth and Drummond Drummond goes to the rim Seth pops out to the wing and it was Garland that was like splitting the difference between them Mm. You know, because I think two guys on the second screener went to Kyrie and I just feel like Kyrie, I don't know if he's going to manipulate that weak side guy where he looks at the lob and then throws it to Curry for three or he looks to Curry and then throws the lob to Drummond. Um, And then, you know, that's Garland on the weak side. You know, how is he going to be able to manipulate, you know, the Celtics defenders? Um, So in those scenarios when they send two to the ball and like the read is on the weak side or or the far corner or something, I don't really think the Nets are a great passing team. And I hate to put that all on Kyrie, but like that's the guy who's going to be navigating those situations. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, and like, that's, I, I agree. I think Kyrie has been pretty mixed this year in terms mm. of like his ability to beat those situations. And like Boston's a team, like, you know, they'll double and they'll, they'll like, they're, I mean, they're, they had a couple sequences against Seth where it's like, they ran him off the line and, but they ran him off in a way where it was like, it wasn't a flyby. It was more of like a ran him off the line, took away the the little mid-range pull-up, that little one, two dribble pull-up that he likes and forced them all the way to the rim where we're like, we're basically, you know, uh, what's the word for it? Funneling Seth yeah. towards our, towards, towards our center. Cause we feel pretty good about a, like we have a big man there that's going to, you know, rotate and uh, fly for the, for the block. But also like Seth is not like a guy that I think by nature wants to like go to the rim and, you know, he's, I don't think he's like Patty Mills bad at the rim, but he's not like, I wouldn't say he's like elite either, you know? So no. yeah, they're, they're just disciplined. And I think that's that I, I get a little nervous about that for the Nets. I think on one hand, you're like, well, they have KD and they have Kyrie. So it's like, they're, they're going to be fine at the end of games. But I, I just get a little concerned. I think at certain points when it comes to, Hey, when they have two bodies sent, um, you know, especially KD's way. Cause even like when, when that happens, sometimes I'm like, all right, now you have a four on three and Kyrie is one of those guys. I, I don't always feel like they've gotten like great stuff out of that, which is weird. I think that is a similar problem to why the KD less lineups have not been super great. Oh yeah. They're it's, a, it's, they're it's minus a two. Yeah. They're a minus two with Kyrie and then no KD or Harden, obviously right. um, on the floor. Um, KD, I think is like plus 14 or something like that. I looked that up the other day. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, this speaks to another point in general. I just feel like the Nets don't have a lot of floor mappers that, that are understanding where the defense is rotating before it happens. I feel like when I watch like even their swing swing stuff, it's like, it's too reactive. It's like, okay, this guy's closing out to me. Okay. There's the next pass. And that moment of being like looking around for the next pass and going, Oh, okay. That's where I should swing the ball. That's you've already given the Celtics too much time to recover. Whereas, and this is like the guy that everyone always uses in this example as a connective passer, but when you think of like an Andre Iguodala, and again, it doesn't have to be one of the smartest players in NBA history, but yeah. if you think about Andre Iguodala as the prototype, he's the guy that he knows where the defense has to rotate, you know, before the swing swing action happens. Even a guy like Joe Ingles adds so much offensive value where he's like, oh, the defense is rotating that way. Either this ball's like out of my hands before I even catch it practically, or I'm making like the next pass, or I'm like, driving this closeout when you wouldn't expect me to. It just feels like defenses, especially the Celtics, are prepared for the way in which the Nets are like swinging the ball, for example, and the decisions just aren't quick enough or um, subversive enough, if that's the word. They're not creative enough. Um, that, that's kind of what I worry about, the passing ability in, in that sense. But it also doesn't help that they don't have rim pressure in a way. So it's yeah. like you're, you're not really like worried about like a guy getting downhill. Like if we if, you know, if, you know, let's say a pass, the swing swing action works and you gain the advantage where a guy can like get downhill. Well, the Nets don't really, like really have that guy on the team. Like, I guess Kyrie, but, you know, Kyrie's rim pressure has fluctuated a little bit. Katie's Katie's Katie. I mean, Katie, every shot take he takes is a good shot. But, you know, outside of that, it's like they don't really have that guy. It's like Drogic is probably your. Your downhill yeah, it, guy, which is <laughs> not is. a sentence I thought I'd be saying in 2022 with James no. Arden on this team at the beginning of the year. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it's funny. The rest of those guys, it's going to be uh, the same result regardless of what the defense is doing. It's going to be either a semi-contested pull-up for Seth Curry or a wide-open pull-up for Seth Curry. Yeah. The same thing for Patty Mills. Not that those are bad shots for those guys if they're open, but <laughs> no, they're bad for Patty. <laughs> they're bad for Patty. Any contested mid-range sidestep shot, I'm not interested in with Patty Mills. No, I, I worry <laughs> about his utility in this series versus versus a guy oh, yeah. like Dragic. Um, with Kessler Edwards, it's also going to be the two dribble, uh, uh, like twelve foot floater push shot thing. Yeah, it's a uh, boy. They're going to get their. Their depth tested. Um, that's probably where I want to go next. Uh, I guess my thing I'm watching for in terms of Celtics exploits, it's an obvious one, I think. Um, they're probably the best mismatch hunting team in the conference, not named Brooklyn. I think Milwaukee's really good, too, for, especially mm. against this Brooklyn team. Um, just having Middleton and Drew, who can post guys up, and then Giannis is just Giannis. Yeah. Um, but I think Boston's right there. They're, they're, they're that team, you know, with, with Tatum especially, Brown to a degree. Um 
they just have guys that can like post up smalls. And they did that quite a bit. Um, you know, I think, well, I, I know they did a little bit with Horford against Kyrie in the first half of this game, the most recent uh-huh. game. And then they did it at the end of the game against Seth. I think there was this big sequence at the very end where they ran, um, they ran like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, pick and uh, yeah, like pick and roll. And whole point was just to drag Seth Curry to the nail. And then, you know, Tatum isolated faced up and, and splashed like a, I don't know, probably like a 15 footer over him. So it's like, that's where I'm a little concerned. Like how much can you really get that in a game? I'm always fascinated by that. Like how much are you really, really, really able to mismatch hunt and find smaller players in a playoff setting, I, 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 maybe I should start tracking that and keeping, keeping score of how often teams are able to do that. But I think you are able to do it enough where it's like, that's a little bit of a red flag for the net, especially if you're running out lineups where you have like, you know, any two of, or even three of Patty Mills, Kyrie and Seth, like, it's like, all right, this is tricky. <laughs> yeah. And then you throw Dragic in there who offensively might be incredibly useful just with his ability compared to the rest of the Nets guards to dribble and make decisions from the paint. But he's another one of those guys that fits into that group on defense. Um, We've come a long way from the Nets being able to switch hunt Fournier last year over and over and over and over and over again. But um, that, that is definitely something you worry about in terms of, of the switch hunting. And it's why it's why a guy like Kessler Edwards, you just, I get why he might not get a lot of minutes. I get why people think he is the one to be cut from the eight or nine man rotation, but I just am still intrigued by his body type and what he brings that other nets don't where it's just like, if he can give you 20 minutes, maybe even 15, you know, where instead of Seth, who maybe you get to rest or instead of one of those small guards, you can park him in the corner on offense. And then there's one less guy to really attack because if it's Jalen Brown, Kessler Edwards, one-on-one, like, yeah, Jalen's probably going to have a few possessions where he gets his Kessler's going to foul him on a pump fake. That's just what, that's just how life is. But it might, this might look really stupid if, if he does, if he gets DNP like games three through seven, but yeah, it's just so, it's just so tantalizing that he could be a solution, a stopgap in maybe like bench heavy lineups when it's like the end of the third or or the beginning of the second, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. um, I'm not out on Kess yet, but I I worry about the the short leash. Um, I think we saw that last year with Nash. Nash kind of like, you know, with young players, he'll give them a chance in the playoffs, but it's like, it's kind of like a, hey, you need to be good right away type of chance. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he just like, yeah. Wasn't, yeah, yeah. You just with Claxton is a good example. Like just wasn't, wasn't here for it after like uh, what only a couple of minutes, which like, it's fine. Like I did ultimately yeah. it didn't matter, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I Kessler adds like a lot of utility just in terms of, and like for this series, especially just the size that he brings. I just think you need that wing size player so much in this series, like so, so much, maybe even more than you do against, I don't know, like Milwaukee. I mean, I guess you right. probably want him for 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 uh, Middleton, but Bruce has done a pretty decent job there. So this series is one where you're like, man, you could really use that guy's like length and his bounce that he has on contests mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like just that that would be huge if you can get that guy acclimated. Yeah, that, that this is the series where you really you really hope he's far enough along where Nash gives him a chance and he eats it up and then he's getting 20, 25 minutes by the end of the series. And it's like, thank God we have him instead of some of the Patty Mills minutes that that would instead go to. Or even some of the Bruce Brown minutes where it, yeah. it, the, they don't respect him in the corner, but they maybe respect Kessler if he hits a couple threes. The other thing about him is I've been really impressed with his rebounding and it's not like the biggest deal or anything, but it's really nice to see that he's not afraid to get in there and mix it up and use his athletic traits to help them on the glass. And if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic about him, that's definitely one of them. He's not, he's not scared of mixing it up. You know, that's not really his issue, especially on defense or on the glass, Mm -hmm. maybe on offense, he gets some deer in the headlights moments, but never on defense. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, Cause then you look down, it's like, all right, like I, I, this is a series where you like, you're a little worried about, the, yep. the burden being placed on KD's shoulders. You're yep. just a little worried. You're like, all right, 
You're probably the main Tatum defender. I'm sure they're going to try to survive with Brown as much as possible because you want to keep KD fresh. I would mm-hmm. expect that to be the matchup they come out with in game one and try to stick with that as much as possible. But at the end of that last game, they, they started shifting over KD on Tatum, which makes sense. Like KD's right. probably their best, I think actually very easily their best isolation defender, especially this season. I think he's been awesome. Um, yeah. He's just been so good. He's like, it's like impossible to score on that guy this year. Uh, so you want him for that. And then he's always just done a good job against Tatum. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you can, if you can, if you can buy those minutes, ultimately you're probably going to go to, uh, you know, you're going to go with KD on Tatum at the end of games, but man, if you can find different guys that can buy you time so that you're not doing it as much throughout the rest of the game, uh, Kess is a big, big one for you. Yep. And I think the other thing in terms of switch hunting that I, is a little worrisome is like they have really given Marcus Smart freedom to explore his yep. limits and explore his ceiling as like a creator. And yeah, there are some mixed results, but like I, I'm sure a lot of Nets fans were tuned into that Milwaukee game where Tatum and Horford were sitting out that Boston almost stole. And it's like Marcus Smart has these moments where he really does great things with the ball in his hands, making the decision, creating the advantage. And yeah, it's Marcus Smart, but I'm telling you, he's looking at Patty Mills. He's looking at Seth Curry as food. And there will be moments, especially in bench heavy lineups, where he looks at those guys and he goes, I'm attacking them. I'm like getting into the paint or I'm shooting over them. Um, you know, and I, or I'm creating an advantage. And if Marcus Smart gets going, like that is another guy you have to worry about, yep. about switch hunting, because he does have these moments where he's just really grown into himself as, as a creator. And yeah, he's not going to be that guy for 30 minutes a game, but you don't want to let Marcus Smart, you know, get his for a, for a five minute stretch because he's just killing your small guards. So I would argue that the switch hunting extends to him a little bit as well. He's just had too many dynamic moments in the second half of this year um, for me to kind of throw that out the window. Yeah. The nets have done this in the past with smart where they'll just like leave him open. Like it's just like yeah. a complete disrespect. I actually don't know if I would do that. Cause I don't think you can afford the idea of him. Like if he gets going and it's like, it's because it, it's, it really works either way. Like if, if he misses those first couple shots, you kind of know it's like, all right, the strategies work for tonight, but I think it's risky. Cause he's like, he's just enough. He's just good enough as a shooter where it's like, he's right on the barrier of that being a, a, you know, not, not a strategy that I think is like super prudent for them. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they'll approach, you know, they'll approach that as well. Yeah, that definitely speaks to a larger topic that somebody should do more research on in terms of the value of being like a streaky shooter and like how that mm. affects the way defenses play you, where if you shoot, if you make 35 out of every single 100 threes you take versus, you know, sometimes you make 50 and then other times you make 15, you know, how does that change things? But that is for a man with far more. That's like a impact. nylon calculus type yeah. article. Somebody I'm over just there putting it out it. there. So, <laughs> somebody has to do it. Not me, though. Um. What do you think are Nets exploits? Well, I'm I'm glad we got to this because I was thinking earlier we're being a little I'm being a little bit too pessimistic about the Nets offense. If there is an offense equipped to handle this Celtics defense in a lot of respects, it is Brooklyn because their whole philosophy is we're going to switch everything. We have these great defenders that you're not going to be able to really get loose on, and Kyrie and KD maybe more than any other two guys in the whole Eastern conference, maybe in the league don't need to get to the rim and don't need to bend the defense that much to get theirs. I mean, I could just see the nets getting into this flow state of offense where if those two guys are going, it's like, yeah, we're going to pick the best matchup that we want. Maybe it's not a great matchup for us, but we're going to let Kyrie and Katie have their choice of defenders. They're going to get to their spots and this whole, you know, idea of five really competent, really great defenders on the floor for Boston is neutralized because we are not the best isolation team of all time anymore after the Harden trade, but we're still a damn good isolation scoring team. And that neutralizes like some of the high end, you know, positives of the Celtics defense. Um, it's a pretty boring answer. Just like, yeah, they're really good at scoring one-on-one, but there's one team that that'll really break the Celtics back. It could be the Nets offense. Yeah. It's kind of, I have that as well. Mine, mine's just kind of like a 
a point of like how quickly can they play one of the Celtics bigs off the floor? Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's the thing I'll be watching for through the, for the first three ish games is like, I'm assuming it's probably Tice. Although I, I didn't, I mean, they were very happy. The Kyrie and KD were more than happy to go against Horford in isolation um, throughout yeah. the regular season. So I, I, you know, I think probably you're going to go with Horford cause he's just so high level as like a offensive player um, mm-hmm. rebounder mm-hmm. as well. Like he just brings so much value in that way where Tice is like, all right, like it's, he's, he's good. Like it's, he's, a, he has his positives for sure, but yeah. How quickly can they do that? And then, I mean, the, that I wrote about this big positive of doing that, not only you're giving yourself the opportunity to like go isolation with your best players against bigs that are maybe not as quick of, of feet or not as equipped to dealing with these type of scores on the perimeter, but you're also setting up better matchups for yourself defensively, where it's like, if Horford's your only big on the floor, all of a sudden you can play KD on Tatum. You can put Bruce Brown on Jalen Brown, which I think is a more favorable matchup. Mm -hmm. It it works on both ends of the floor that way, where you can just, if you can do it, if if there's a way for you to attack that really early. And I don't think it's surprising at all that uh, Bruce Brown said that out loud in the presser after the the Cavs game, which was a hilarious exchange. Um, I I don't think it's surprising that that's like their main thing. They're already circled because it's what worked for them in the regular season was going, you know, isolation essentially with their best players against those two bigs. Yep. It, it, and it's, it's maybe the one thing that is semi applicable to last year's Nets Celtic series, where I think the Celtics granted played Tristan Thompson and Tice, I think against the Nets. And that was their strategy too, which, which one of these bigs can we play off the floor immediately? Now it's going to be a lot harder now that Horford is one of the guys instead of Tristan Thompson, but nonetheless, that strategy is still, is still there for them. Um, yeah. Something I just thought of not totally related is Bruce Brown and foul trouble is going to be a story for this series. The first game where he gets two fouls in the first quarter quickly or three fouls in the first half, that changes so much for the Nets calculus. Oh, so. If you have to manage his minutes, if you don't have him out there when both of Tatum and Brown are on the floor, mm-hmm. maybe you get Claxton out there and you just say Claxton, like you're on Jalen right now and we're not yep. really going to try to switch you a ton. But it speaks to the lack, I think, of wing depth. Or maybe that forces Kessler to step up. But like if Brown is compromised for any reason, because think about it, every, every conversation we've had about the Nets defense is like, oh, who's Brown guarding? Like, you put him on one of those guys, yeah. and you figure out the other guy, you know, by committee or whatever. Um, if you take Brown away, wh- what are you doing? You know, how, what's your plan B? He's just, to me, so important in this series. And the first game when he gets a few tick, ticky-tack fouls, like, is really going to, I think, give us our answer. To that question maybe Blake Griffin will play like everybody wants him to <laughs> oh, oh wow we get a I'm replay still... of last year's series where Blake was that was that was an all-timer when Blake Blake looked great against the Bucks. am I gonna take away that from him no we just stopped talking about the Celtics series though we just completely no. no when I say that I re-watch those Celtics game four and game two highlights I do not watch any of the defensive possessions where <laughs> Blake's man screen for Tatum and Tatum. Soft switch. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. All of Nets Twitter learned the uh, and overused the phrase soft switch last year for about those two weeks in April. That was not a fun time. Yeah. Rough stuff. Um, So, yeah. So I look at that. That's the main thing. Um, And I think for me, like that's going to entail more Grant Williams, who's like, you know, I think that's fine i i i actually think he'll i kind of disagree i mean he won't play like 38 minutes but i do yeah, think he'll no. have he'll probably have a decently sized role i think as this series goes on because i just i i do think and ultimately i think that kind of shapes my prediction i do think the nets are going to make because for me like I, when i watch the playoffs like you watch all right let's take today's um timberwolves grizzlies game like you could see it instantly steven adams is just like not going to be a factor in the series like they just can't they can't keep them on the floor with cat out there. It's not going to happen. So like today, that was a big factor. Cat was able to get going. And I think that shaped a lot of that game. You don't have your screener and your roller uh, yeah. and, and just like your, I guess your other rim protector in a way. 
Um, so, and I look at that and I'm like, all right, that was a big factor today. If the Nets can do that and they can make the Celtics, essentially force the Celtics hand before the Celtics force theirs, um, I think that's big. And I, I so I, I suspect that's going to be the point of emphasis pretty much right away. Yeah, I, 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 that was not Grant Williams' slander earlier because um, he is a very nice player for them and, and he fits well into their like scheme of like high IQ, perfect rotational guys. And I don't yes. mean like minutes rotation. I mean like defensive rotations, just always knowing where to be. That'll be very interesting to see how now with Rob Will out, it's like their top six was and is so, so good. And now it's like their top five plus, you know, Derek White is very good. I, it just, now it's like their top six instead of their top seven. Yeah. How like, like you as a Nets fan, you really hope Dragic takes Peyton Pritchard to school. You really hope, you know, like Bruce Clax, I guess not Bruce, but like Clax and Kessler thoroughly outplay Grant Williams because the six through eight, the seven through nine, it's questions for both of these rosters. Who, yep. who is going to win those minutes? Because I don't think you can confidently predict it either way. Um, so that's another big factor for them. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if Grant Williams among those guys on each team, the seven through nine guys is the one that has the best series. I mean, it really wouldn't surprise me. Even Brooklyn's like sixth man with Patty, where it's like, yeah. I think Patty will be impactful. I, you know, Patty's got a lot of playoff experience. I trust him in that way. I could also see this being a really bad series where it's like, if he's not hitting and he's getting run off the line or forced into these tough shots and he's just like food on defense that there you go. There's your, there's your off the bench spark plug that you're just not going to have. Um, so, yeah. So I think that'll be, I think that'll be pretty interesting. Like, and that's again for the nets. Like if you can, if you can just force the, the Celtics into removing one of, or not, like removing entirely, but like effectively removing one of their rotation players from, you know, regular lineups and important crucial lineups just by targeting them over and over. Well, then you're, you're forcing them to upshift their rotation. I think that's a big win for you. And ultimately like that's a, you know, I, a couple of ways I look at playoff series, I look at who has the best players. That's the obvious one. And then also like who's forcing whose hand more. Cause I think those two shape things a lot. It's a lot of like a chess match in a way. Definitely. And then I think one of my last big questions that I have before maybe we get into predictions is I'm really interested to see what the Celtics philosophy is on the offensive glass, because on Mm -hmm. one hand, there are, as we both stated, exploits for them to stop Brooklyn's half court offense and to muck it up. But Brooklyn in transition, Bruce Brown, Nick Claxton, those guys gain so much value running the break because they're both so athletic and long for their position. And the easiest buckets the Nets have gotten this year are in transition when Bruce becomes an even more effective ball handler and he's sprinting the floor and Claxton is an even more viable um, alley-oop threat because you don't have to worry about him releasing from screens. Like he's just running and, you know, Kyrie, Katie, nothing more needs to be said. Seth and Patty filling the wings. That's when their offense looks best and they get the easiest looks when they're running in transition. At the same time, I think we understand, especially without Drummond, and especially if Claxton is switched out onto the perimeter, the Nets are vulnerable on the offensive glass. How do the Celtics weigh the risk of allowing the Nets to get out in transition and get easy buckets versus trying to punish them on the glass? That'll be something that I am really, really interested in, mm. um, in, in early in this series, you know, or is it one of those things where the Celtics are so confident that they can get to the glass that that's how they try to curtail the Nets running in transition. They force the Nets to really pack it in, not have Bruce leak out, have everybody crash the glass. And then that's how they slow down their transition offense. Um, that is a huge battle that I am really curious to see because I, I, I could see it either way. I could see the Celtics being like, no, our defense is so awesome. We're making you play in the half court all the time. If we don't get an offensive rebound, it's fine. You know, I could also see it going the other way where we think our defense is good enough to survive, like a maybe reduced number of half court possessions that we think it's, it's worth it to attack you on the glass. Also points out what the, what you said before about how important it is to keep Bruce out there. Cause he's like, your leak out transition guy. Like he's a, he is Brooklyn's transition offense. I feel like half the time, whether yeah. he's initiating it or not, he, he, sometimes he's bringing the ball up or he's just getting in front of everybody. Um, 
that that's interesting. Yeah, that'll be. I mean, I think it goes for both sides. Like the, the I, it's funny. Like these two teams, I do feel like they're looking to exploit each other in the same general ways. So they're both going to yeah. try to target each other. Um, they're both going to be like I think offensive rebounding could be really big for both of these teams. Um, what's another uh, like uh, rim pressure will be big for both for the for the Nets if you can if you can get to the rim especially when, you know, the Celtics are running you off the line. And, you know, I, th- I think that's a big way to to hurt them because it's going to, you know, set up some of that swing-swing action. For the Celtics, that's also huge. Like Tatum, big, big, big factor for him is how much is he settling for the step-back three? How much is he getting downhill, getting to the rim? How much is Marcus Smart coming off pick and rolls, getting to the rim? Because the Nets, like, I mean, let's be, like, they're <laughs> rotation-wise, they're still pretty, like, it feels very, like, I mean, it's funny, Nash always throws it out, but they feel like very training camp E in terms of their rotations, X outs, stuff like that. Um, that's a big exploit for them. Yep. Um, it's funny that, oh God, yeah. It feels like I've been hearing the same Nash press conference for two years now, but it's true most of the time. Um, and then we haven't touched on it. I don't think there's any really like, I don't know what we could even say, but like the Ben Simmons question. Um, yeah. It feels like, I don't know. I don't have any, pretend I have any inside info. It feels like he'll be a factor in terms of like, he'll be on the court in this series. That's just sort of what it feels like at this point. But I don't really, I, it's impossible for me to have any thoughts as to how that'll impact the series um, other than to wait and see how he looks. Yeah, I'm tempering my expectations. I think when he comes on is really crucial because it's like a big risk to like let's say he comes on like game five or game six like it's kind of a little risky to bring on a guy that hasn't played in a year in a do or die game like I know like people are going to be like I've seen it on Twitter people are like well we're overthinking this like Ben Simmons is an all in you know whatever all NBA player all defensive level player like he's going to come in it's going to look great I'm like yeah like I agree but like I don't we don't know what his win's going to be like we just don't really know you know, and he's coming out guarding Jason Tatum like in his first NBA game in a year like it's not easy so i i don't know i i'm keeping my expectations low but i'm also prepared for him to like be pretty impactful and man like we've talked about how much they don't have wing depth good lord you throw that guy out there it's like it's a different ball game there oh man i know uh i I, yeah it's it's just he's like their swing guy it's like he's exactly what they need for this series honestly if you threw him out there right now, if he was fully healthy, like the the discourse around the series would just would just be so so much different. And yeah, it's 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 the it's the most nets thing to have the specter of a guy that solves so many of their problems in this weird hell of like we don't know if Steve Nash has ever seen him in the physical form, but he could also come <laughs> back game three and swing the whole series because he's exactly what they need. We we really wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. It's purgatory. It's just, it's been purgatory for two years. It's been, yeah. it's been like nothing else. Um, all right, let's make some predictions. What do you got? Who you got winning the series? Oh man. I'm so, I'm so torn because I could just see the Celtics offense. And this is what gave Nets life in the Milwaukee series last year that they honestly should have lost before game seven. If yes, when Drew holiday remembered how to shoot and the bucks were a little bit more competent offensively. Mm. I know I'm kind of speaking down on championship winning coach, Mike Budenholzer, but I could just see their half court offense being just easy enough for the Nets to defend to get them this series win. I mean, someone put it out there yesterday. It's not a huge sample size because the Celtics have been blowing teams out in the second half of the year, but their clutch time offense is still not great. Yeah, that was Jack. I saw that, yeah. yeah. How bottom 10. That is the reason for me to pick the Nets. I don't think I can do it. I think I have to go Celtics in seven. Wow. I know it's it's hard. I've really been back and forth at the same time. I, yeah, I mean, I, I could see the Nets winning in six. I could see all of our, I mean, that, that, that's such a, that's such a BS cop out. Like, yeah, the Nets have Kyrie and KD. They could both be awesome. They could win the series in six, but my official prediction is Celtics in seven. And I feel awful about it because I'm literally picking against Kevin Durant in game seven, but I also don't think the Celtics are going to close out the series in Brooklyn. So yeah, this that's a weak prediction, but I do think it's kind of weak to not give a prediction. So I'm sticking to Celtics and seven. 
Got Nets in six. Uh, I think we're going to split the series. I think the Nets win game five and they close it out at home. I uh, Big thing for me, other yep. than that they have Katie and Kyrie. Um, yeah, I worry a little bit about Boston's offense. Like, I, I just worry about them getting, like, fooled into, like, oh, let's try to go – Let's try to go star shot for star shot. And it's like Marcus smart taking those shots along with, (laughs) along with Tatum and Brown. Like I just, I get a little worried about that. I think exploit wise, the nets have a lot easier of a time in terms of just picking out those two bigs and forcing the Celtics into tough decisions. And I just honestly, like, I don't think we have a big enough sample even though the Celtics got what seven or eight games, and I think they they were I don't know if they went like six and two or so, I, don't, I don't know some some along those lines, uh, with with those two bigs together, I'm just I don't feel like we have a giant sample of like what that looks like yeah. with Tyson Horford, in a way where I guess it sounds very similar to like a lot of Nets stuff where there's no big sample, uh, but I, I don't know I think for me like I look at that and I think all right if the Nets are able to get to that exploit first and force the, the Celtics into making difficult decisions, downshifting their rotation or upshifting their rotation. I don't know. I just, I, I take that in combination with having Kyrie and KD. And I just am like, I think having two of the three best players in the series, along with an easier avenue to force in the opponent into doing awkward things. I have to pit the net. I just, I think it's nets and six. I don't know. I felt pretty good about it. You know, what's funny. I think, as even though I'm picking the Celtics in seven, I think that if the series, the shorter the series is, like I could just see the Nets winning more quickly. If yeah. that makes sense, like if this series goes the Nets' way, it could. I don't think it's gonna be over in five. But if you told me it was over in five, yeah. I would go, okay, the Nets won the series. If you told me the series was over in seven, I'd go, okay, that sounds like a Celtics series. I agree. My worry is just. I just feel like I'm going to be in the twilight zone where I see the Nets late game offense become four on three and they trap and there's just too many weak spots and they can't play anybody besides Bruce and Claxton because they just don't have the depth for it. Um, but I, this is, this is as close to a 50, 50 series as I've thought of like in a long, in a long time, like last year, Milwaukee had a really tough time picking, but by the time, you know, before the series, I settled on net nets and six I was really, I felt pretty good about it. I don't feel good about this one at all. Um, Rob Will is is just huge. And I, I still don't really know how to quantify for it because him as the roamer unlocks so much for them and he's so good at it. But at the same time, they're so good as a defense regardless. Um, yeah. It's going to be a great series though, either way. I think that's what I'm most excited for. It's, it's just going to be fun as hell. I feel very good about it being the best first round series. Although I think Timberwolves, Timberwolves Grizzlies could be pretty good based on today. Um, yeah. yeah I, uh, I, I like your point about it. The longer it going, the worse I feel for the nets. Cause I think what that indicates is that these teams are a lot more evenly matched than expected. Mm-hmm. And I just think like, because of continuity and just like having a real identity, the Celtics are just a way more favorable pick in that way. Whereas the Nets are like kind of still figuring things out on the fly. You can't lose a shootout game if you're the Nets. You can't, yeah. if you get into a close game and it's like, oh, like Katie, tough shot, Kyrie, tough shot, Brown, Tatum, tough shot. And it's just like, it just comes down to who makes the most tough shots as playoff games are very one to do. The Nets can't, then you can't, the Nets can't lose those games because that's what, that's the advantage they have. If the Nets are losing those games, you feel worse about their chances, which yep. is like a very, a very easy thing to say. Like, oh yeah, if they make less tough shots, they lose. But it feels like the Celtics, you know, will have games where they win, and it's not because they make more tough shots. Whereas it's hard for me to see the Nets winning a tough, close game down the stretch when they make less. Like, wow, that's a ridiculous like a twenty foot fade away from Kyrie. That's gonna be their whole playoff run. It's it's hilarious. Wow. They're just gonna be like the tough shot makers, and we're gonna see how far it can go. Hey, man, the good thing if you're a Nets fan slash if you really love Kyrie and KD, if they win a championship, if they make a deep playoff run, whatever it is, it's gonna be one of those runs where there's like just a billion moments that you can point to, and it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Remember, it's gonna be like the Kyrie uh, 2016 finals where. 
I'm not going to say it's over high. I'm not going to talk down on it because it was like awesome in the moment, but where it just stands out even more because the moments are classically awesome basketball moments where it's like a fadeaway over two guys because that's just what their offense is. Yep. No, I'm hoping for a good one. I think, uh, I think people will be in for a treat with this and uh, it's just a brutally tough series to pick a lot of things to watch for. And like, I'm just excited to see what else we're going to learn from it. You know, I I think we have a pretty good outline of like things we're watching for, and there's just going to be so much more um, that that both these teams are going to bust out in a way. I mean, like they even take the play in game, like the fact that the Nets like kind of inverted their offense on the fly and had Bruce Brown initiate everything. Like I just wasn't ready for that. I'm expecting other exploits too, uh, or just tactics that the Nets are going to run. So it's exciting. I think this will be a, it's a good series. So I'm excited. Um, by game two, you know, this whole pod could be obsolete. That's just sort of how the playoffs are. Last thing, mini prediction. What what slash what game does Ben Simmons come back if he comes back at all? Oh, boy. Um, I like game four, kind of. I think that's where I'm at, but I just – I have no clue. I, I'm so out of the loop on this whole thing, I feel like. <laughs> okay, do it. That makes it an even more uh, fair – fair prediction i'll say to be a little different i'll i'll say i'll say game three i mean he's walking around like he's michael jordan in that joint fuck it <laughs> yeah he was dunking today maybe i should say game three yeah all right well, i'll say game four but uh yeah I, right. he'll be back it'll be cool it'll be fun to watch him man i, I love watching ben simmons I've, I've loved him for a while so yeah i'm pretty juiced about that on an earnest note that like you got i really i mean I, again, I don't know the guy. I don't know the situation. I don't know his back. You got to respect him for that. You know, I mean, that's that's such a hard thing to come back and do, man. Oh, yeah. Expectations. Like, if he comes back, I, you know, I, I, I don't know what that says about him, but I feel like it says something that, you know, that is not an easy position to put yourself in. No, um, man, he was ridiculed, let's be honest. for like Ridiculed, new teammates, like not, a, not exactly a depressurized environment, even though it's not Philly um questioned and he is everything to lose and not a ton to gain to be honest but yeah you know, no respect to him it's it's that's a hard thing so respect to him for even trying to get back out there after what sounds like a lot of setbacks you know it's not like it's not like this has been the return goal date for two months either he's, he's no. had to, a lot to deal with over and over again so I think if you're a Nets fan and you were worried after the trade, like what kind of guy competitor are we getting? Although I think those questions are always a little bit overblown. You have to be like, okay, wow. Like, you know, you feel good about having him as a part of this franchise. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's a good note to end on. Lucas, where can the people find you? People can find me on Twitter, Lucas Kaplan underscore. Um, I've been writing a ton, been pretty busy, but I think, you know, it's the, it's the playoffs. Every game is, there's so much to digest. I hope to, get some more content out there, whether it's threads um, mm. or maybe a couple articles, which would be at Nets daily. Um, also, I would, you know, tweet them out. So yeah, Lucas Kaplan underscore. That's where you can find me. Always a pleasure to pod with you, Matt. And yep. this will, this will be a fun, fun two weeks of this series and a fun couple months of the playoffs, man. The Christmas is here. Yeah. I love this part of the year. I live for it. Like I really do. Um, you can find me Matt Brooks, MBA on Twitter uh subscribe to this podcast the clear out on spotify apple podcasts whatever uh whatever you use we should be there so yeah uh lucas thank you so much for doing this thank you all for listening and we will talk to you soon peace Peace.